Hello and welcome to Biblical Breadcrumbs, the series where I break down a bit of the Bible to get you to look at it more. This episode will be in Matthew chapter 5, starting into the Sermon on the Mount. One of the most famous discourses, if not the most famous thing, uh, sermon or otherwise, that Jesus has ever said. Even if we don't know all the parts of it, we do recognize a lot of the um, uh, sections that go into it. Uh, how many times have you heard someone say, judge not, be not judged? How many times have you heard people talk about the wide and narrow gates? How many times do we talk about salt and light? Uh, how many times do we talk about like anything with the heart being behind it? These are all themes uh, or, or sections in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you can't serve God and wealth. That's another one. I'm going to stop spoiling them now. Oh, wait, there's the Lord's Prayer too. <laughs> we'll talk about that one. Um, there are so many things that go into the Sermon on the Mount, so many things that we know, right, as I assume most people listening to this series are Christians and have been for a little bit, and so we probably know all these things, we've heard all these things before, and yet how often do we go and, and stop and think about what Jesus is actually saying? It's all well and good to skim through things and to understand things, but there is also a value in slowing down and making sure that we know what Jesus is actually saying. Too many times I have found that I trust tradition and I trust what I have been taught in the past instead of actually looking at it for myself. That's why the series exists, is to get us to look. And that's why I'm doing this. That's why I'm speaking through this today. I'm speaking to myself more than any of you, but... I hope this is helpful for you in whatever case. We're starting in Matthew chapter 5. Before we get there, two quick things. Uh, well, okay, they might not be quick. I'm not sure. First thing is I'm going to talk a minute about the structure of Matthew. I should have done this before, and I didn't because I kind of <laughs> totally forgot about it. But I'm going to run through it now because it's kind of relevant now. The structure of Matthew 5 and understand me when I, I say I don't know much about structure. I don't do much with organizing books into huge overarching sections that all fit together neatly in a nice little symmetrical pattern or whatever, but I do listen to people who do that, and I think there is merit in doing that to some extent. I'm not skilled enough yet, but I am glad to learn from people who are. And what I have seen in Matthew, what I have been shown, is that this book is built around five speeches or or sermons i guess that jesus gives and so if you want the chapters for those the first one is matthew 5 through 7 sermon on the mount the second one is matthew chapter 10 the third one is matthew chapter 13 the fourth one is matthew chapter 18 and the fifth one is matthew chapters 24 and 25 those go together these are like five main speeches that Jesus focuses on, and then there are six sections in between those, before and after those, that fill in some historical context. But Jesus really wants us, or Matthew, sorry, really wants us to focus on these speeches, and especially if there are five, then that means there is one in the middle, and we should really look at that one. That's Matthew chapter 13, and if you skim down that chapter, there are, last I counted, eight to ten mentions of this kingdom of heaven or or the kingdom in some extent depending on how you count it eight to ten uses of that i think it's fairly safe to say matthew 13 is based around the kingdom of heaven if that's the case 
and it is based around the kingdom, and the entire book is based around Matthew 13 being the middle speech, and basically the middle of a 28-chapter book, you know? Maybe there's something to that, and maybe we need to pay attention to what Matthew's trying to emphasize. Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom, and I think that's what these speeches are all based on. At least from my preemptive viewing of it, that's what I understand. And so thinking about Matthew 5 through 7, people don't know much about the kingdom, right? Jesus has been teaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is come near, but he hasn't opened it yet. It's not here yet. And so this is a, a sermon directing people to look to the kingdom and, and trying to find people whose goal is the kingdom of heaven. This is, to my mind, the Sermon on the Mount really defines the kingdom citizen, the type of person who Jesus wants, the type of person that God is going to accept, and the, the type of person who is going to do good and seek to live for God. If we want to be kingdom citizens, and I think we do, if we want to live for God, the Sermon on the Mount is really taught about what goes into making up that person and what goes into being part of that person. If we're going to be gods, we probably need to listen to when God says, this is how I want my people. And so that's my view of the kingdom, or that's my view of Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount anyway. That's the angle we're going to be looking at it in this little series. I hope that that's helpful for you. If you see it differently, okay. And I don't have a huge beef with that. But if you um, agree, that'd be cool. You'll see it from my perspective. If you don't agree, you'll see it from my perspective anyway, and maybe that'll show you something else. I'm not looking to convince anybody. I'm just displaying it how I understand it. And so let's look at Matthew chapter 5. Now remember, the last half of Matthew chapter 4, Matthew, uh, Matthew huh, Jesus kind of replaces John the Baptist. John the Baptist disappears off the scene. He's taken into prison, into custody, and Jesus, he moves around a little bit, um, fulfills a prophecy, and then starts preaching the same message as John was. He calls his first followers, and then he starts teaching, but he starts healing, and then it seems, at least the way I'm reading it, it seems that the people in Matthew 4, starting in verse 20, uh, 23, 24, uh, Jesus heals, and then the news spreads, so they bring him every sick person, all of the demon-possessed people, all of the epileptics and paralytics, and he's healing them. And so it really seems like they're focused on what Jesus can do for them. And they're focused on the signs that Jesus is doing and not really what he's teaching. I could be wrong. I could be wrong in that. I could be. And I could be totally misreading it. But that's how I see it. And so, again, that's, that's what I'm going to assume is happening, but it doesn't say what their hearts were specifically, and so I cannot actually tell for sure. With all that in mind, right, I think these people are following Jesus just for fun because Jesus is doing cool things for them and not to listen to him. With that in mind, let's think what it does to the Sermon on the Mount. Let's read chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 and set this stage a little bit. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, and then he proceeds into the actual sermon. And, and so these crowds are following him. Who knows why? If, we're, if they're good-hearted, 
Jesus wants to teach them. If they're just following him because Jesus wants to teach them, because he wants to teach everybody anyway. And so, does it really matter why they're here? No, it doesn't really. It's just it's just additional flavor on the story, I guess. And so, you can see that however you want to, and I don't think it matters all that much. But he sees these people, he sees these people following him, and he starts speaking to them, trying to show them what the kingdom is. He begins to speak to his disciples and the crowds and uh, try to teach everybody from on top of this mountain. And so, starting in verse 3, we have a wonderful section that we all know super well. So let's look at it. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and they will be filled. Blessed for, are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Why does Jesus start out in this way? Think about it. I think as, as someone who grew up in the church, who grew up being taught these kind of things, who grew up hearing about the Sermon on the Mount, we'd hear about it every so often, we'd have class on it, um, study it every now and then. And so I just kind of accept this because it, it makes sense, right? This is just how Jesus starts. Of course it is. But why? Because Jesus is rational. Jesus knows what he's doing when he's speaking. I'm sure of that. So why would he choose to start in this way? Let's think about that. What is it that he is teaching? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that idea? What is it that Jesus is actually teaching? Um, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. What kind of kingdom is made up out of poor people? What kind of kingdom is made up out of, hu uh, I was about to say humility people, humble people? What kind of kingdom is made up out of uh, people who are b beneath other people, right? And people who esteem others more highly than themselves. What kind of king would that make? Not a good one physically. Not, not one, not an effective one here on earth, he would just kind of give up his land and not protect it. He would just acquiesce to trade deals that were bad for him. That's not a good mark of a kingdom. Not here. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Well, duh. I mean, come on. Next you're going to be telling me, blessed are people who are hungry because they're going to eat something and be filled. Oh yeah, he does say that. Um, blessed are the humble or the meek, because they're going to inherit the earth. Well, that's observably not true. People who are meek and humble get run over. They don't get anything. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Ah, that's that same idea. I don't think that's true. Sometimes the merciful get mercy here, but oftentimes, no. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they, for they will see God. Okay, I have, I have no problem with that one. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. That's uh, We'll bring that up in just a minute, actually, talk about those. Ultimately, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And so we're back to that poor in spirit idea, right? Poor in spirit, persecuted for righteousness. That's who gets this kingdom. Does that sound odd to you? It doesn't sound odd to me until I think about the original audience who is hearing this. What do they, what do the Jews expect out of their Messiah? He's the one who's going to free them from the Romans, right? He's the glorious conqueror who's going to come in and, and scare away all their enemies and reestablish the throne of David and the kingdom of Judah. He's the one who's going to save them from their oppressors. He's the one who's going to represent God and, and come and purge them of this evil enemy that's been clogging up their nation for so long. He's the one who's going to come and rule over them in a mighty way. And Jesus says, you know, the humble are pretty great. The merciful are pretty nice. You know how your elders say that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy? Well, actually, you should be a peacemaker because that's what God wants. Do, do you understand the difference that Jesus is throwing here? Do you understand, like, the curveball that's coming at these people? Because this is the kingdom. This is what they've been waiting for. This is what they've been anticipating their entire lives. And yet Jesus is telling them the exact opposite of what they should think is going to happen. Be poor. Be persecuted. Be put upon. And yes, as I started with P. Whoops. Uh, be rejected by people. Be oppressed by people. That's glorifying. That's a kingdom citizen. How many of those people are going to want to hear that message when they have their current view of the kingdom of heaven? That's really what I want to impress on you. When Jesus starts out his message... He doesn't start, he starts out telling you what the kingdom's about, and he doesn't say it's about riches. He doesn't say it's about um, freedom. He doesn't say it's about uh, glory and blessings and all these good things. He doesn't say that at all. He says it's about oppression and humility and meekness and peacemaking. It's about effort on your part. It's about your sacrifices. It's about your work. This is... This is the kingdom of heaven. It's not easy. It's not fun. It's not enjoyable. And it's it's just physically, it's kind of trash. Now keep in mind that it's tempered with they're going to be filled and shown mercy. They're going to see God. They're going to be God's sons. They're going to inherit the kingdom. And so that it's not entirely devoid of reward. In fact, it has the best reward there is. But for a people the Jewish people who is looking for physical salvation, this is not the message they're expecting, and it's not the message they want. I'm not going to defend the Jews for ignoring Jesus. I'm not going to defend the Jews for pushing Jesus aside and following their own traditions. I'm not going to... Uh, I'm not going to defend the Jews because they went against God. 
But I am going to say, if I was living back in that time, I don't know that I'd have been any better than they were. Think about that. Would you really? We like to think that we would have followed Jesus because he's Jesus, of course. Would you really? There's a reason why everybody left him. There's a reason why he didn't have that many followers at his death. There's a reason why there weren't many followers for a while afterwards. There's also a reason why there were a lot of followers starting in Acts. There, there is a reason as to why he, he, his message converts so many people, but there's totally a reason why it doesn't. This is not a popular kingdom. This is not the kingdom of, of good times and peace and happiness and, I don't know, chill vibes or whatever you want to call it. This is not that kingdom. This is a kingdom of pain. There's going to be dif- discomfort. There's going to be difficulty. If you're actually a kingdom citizen, that's what you're signing up for. So don't go into, don't go into the kingdom of God being disillusioned. Don't go into the kingdom of God thinking everything is going to be great and perfect. We know that it's not. I, we understand that it's not. I know we do. But I want to emphasize, Jesus starts out by saying, here's what the kingdom of heaven is. It's hard. It's difficult. It's rewarding in the end. But you have to wait for it. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's not a kingdom on earth. These people don't want to listen to the message. Sometimes we don't want to listen to the message as well. So what should we do with that? How, what, what practical reason is there? I should start incorporating more practical things in here. And now we're in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, might as well start. Um, what can we learn from that? When you're teaching other people the gospel, maybe don't talk about how wonderful it, everything is on earth. Maybe don't talk about how great the people are and how, how great it is to be together and how wonderful it is to have God. Those things are all true. And I'm not discounting that those things are all true. There is a reason, though, why Jesus does not start with that and starts with, blessed are you if you are poor in spirit, humble, persecuted. That gets the kingdom. And the kingdom's worth it. Jesus unequivocally says the kingdom is worth it. But but it's going to take some work to get there. It's going to take effort and pain on your part to get there. This is the Sermon on the Mount. It does not start out in a grandiose way. It does not start out in a super appealing way. Like, quite frankly, I would love to say that it did, but it just, it doesn't. Not in a physically appealing way. That's not the point. And I think these people, the people listening to it at the time, I do think that they're coming to Jesus because he's physically appealing, because he's got some cool uh, magic tricks he's doing, right? He's, he's healing people, and that's amazing, and it's fun to watch, and they're getting a show out of it. But this message is for those people to try and say, hey, don't follow me if you're not going to you know, follow. I think that's why this message is here. So that's the intro to the Sermon on the Mount. I hope that's joyous, and I hope that encourages you. It's, it, it's, it hurts. It's true, though. 
And so let's think about the Sermon on the Mount not as a glorious collection of all of these things, all of these happy messages for people to learn from, and let's start thinking of it as actual teaching. There's rebuking, there's exhortation, there's all kinds of things in here, um, but it's not just happiness. Remember that the kingdom is, there's pain here on earth. It's worth it in the end, but we are going to go through some things here on the earth. So don't worry about that. God promised that that would happen. And Jesus is going to go on to talk about God providing for us. And so that's where we're going to leave off for now. We'll pick up next time in the next section of the Sermon on the Mount and do however long we decide to do. And then we'll go through it section by section. And hopefully you see some new things or get reminded of some old things. Either way, it'll be helpful for you, I hope. Definitely, definitely good for me. If you've got questions, if you've got comments or questions, I understand this especially, the, this this kind of viewpoint going in may well inspire disagreements and it may re- well inspire further questions onto why I believe certain things. Um, and if that's the case, please let me know. Uh, email me, let me know. I have, I have an Instagram too now because that, I thought that was a good idea for some reason. Um, so look, look it up on Instagram or email me. It's just biblicalbreadcrumbs at gmail.com. And let's have a conversation about what's going on here because there's some interesting stuff here and I want to, I want to display it properly and I want to display it helpfully as well. So I hope that this has been helpful for you to listen to. Let me know if you have feedback, positive or negative, and let's talk about that, if you will. Thanks for listening to this episode, and I'll catch you on the next episode of Biblical Breadcrumbs.